Steelers, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane. Your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. A drag race, they're sideways! Here he comes, here he comes, he's got him this time. Larson to the bottom of the track. Flat job. Trying to take the lead away. Flat job. They touch, they touch. Who is going to win? It's going to be a drag race all the way back to the start-finish line. Keep your foot in it. Keep your foot in it. There's still three. Middle he's three. got him, he's got him. Oh, oh there we go. Now, here's your host, Davey Siegel. I'm back. That's right, folks. It's been a hot minute, but I just missed you guys so much that, well, I, I had to make a comeback. It's been a minute. But I'm glad to be back here with you guys in the place that everybody wants to be. That, of course, being Victory Lane. And listen, if you listen to the teaser episode, it told you what this show is going to be about. It's pretty much the same as the first iteration. We can kind of call this Victory Lane 2.0 if you're an OG listener. I'm going to give you interviews. I'm going to give you analysis, discussion, and anything else that you want, to be honest. I mean, this is a show by me for you like I will give you anything you want if you want to come on and you want to talk racing we can do that if you want me to interview Joe Schmo in whatever racing series I'm going to do my best to do that and if you want me to interview the biggest name in racing whether that be Fernando Alonso or whether that be Kyle Busch Kevin Harvick I will do everything in my power to attempt to make your wishes a reality as cliche as that is it's it's very true like this is a show by me for you, the fans, my peers, my colleagues, my hombres, my fans. I love all y'all guys. So we are going to have a ton of fun on this journey together, like I said. It's going to be a weekly thing, not as long as I did it in the past. The past episodes that I did were, yeah, let's face it, they were a little bit lengthy, but you know me, you know I like to talk NASCAR. Once I get going, I can't really stop. So I don't plan on them being as long but hey, never say never. If we get going with an interview and it seems to be going really well, well, I ain't going to cut it short. So look, it might fluctuate a couple days in terms of when I'm recording, when I'm posting, when I'm able to edit because I have a bunch of different commitments going uh, at NBC Sports Washington, at NASCAR Home Tracks, Front Stretch, uh, being a human and a functioning member of society, having a social life. Yes, yes, 21st century problems, first world problems, whatever. Cry me. But the point is, I am ready. Hashtag SpongeBob. I'm so ready to finally get back going. I've been talking about this for so long. It's been in the works for so long. I finally got the podcast art approved by Apple. Shout out to Ryan Pastana for helping me work on that. We got all the feeds approved. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Play. We're on SoundCloud. Check us out, man. We're doing big things. We're making money moves out here, all right? And like I said... Same show as last iteration, except with a different logo, same person, but same subject. So you know what we do next, right? After my lengthy intro, we talk about the past weekend's race. And that was none other than the Pennzoil 400 at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. 
I was fortunate enough to be on site at the grounds in Sin City. I always forget. Can I just tell you? I always forget how damn cold it is in the desert. Like all the time, even in the heat of summer when it's 110 degrees during the day, it still gets kind of chilly at night, which is ridiculous. Like I, I, I always forget. I did pack a jacket, but I wore the same one for like four or five days. So if you're watching my post-race videos, which I hope you were, sorry that I didn't really have an extensive wardrobe, but I digress. Okay, this race was about the new package, the new package, and a little bit more of the new package. You dig? In case you didn't know, this is the full debut of the new rules package. We did not have the Aero Ducks the prior weekend at Atlanta, but we did have them this past weekend at Las Vegas. So that means we took away some horsepower, we added some downforce, and we put in some Aero Ducks. This was a 100% implementation of this new rules package for 2019 at Las Vegas. And it was interesting. Let's just say that. We'll jump right into it. We'll start with qualifying. We had a very interesting qualifying session that went on. Cars were essentially playing chicken on the end of pit road. People were waiting at the end. They were waiting to try to time it correctly where the second that they went out to make a run and got up to speed when they were taking the green flag, it would just be in time for when the session was scheduled to end. If that doesn't really make sense to you, think about it like this. Let's use Kevin Harvick as an example. He hits the gas coming off a of pit road with 50 seconds left in the round of qualifying. By the time that he gets around on his up to speed lap and crosses the start finish line to start his timed qualifying lap, let's say that the timer that NASCAR kept was at two seconds. That's a good qualifying lap because he got to the start finish line, which is the demarcation point of when the timer will start in time before it hits zero. But as we'll hear in a minute, Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman, Hendrick Motorsports teammates, they did not time it correctly and they were about half of a second too late. So even though they put the cars on the top of the board and won the pole, or so they thought, their laps did not count. They did not get there in time. So let's talk about Alex Bowman first. I mean, most drivers that we talked to after the qualifying session absolutely despised this session in every sense of the word. Bowman was extremely ticked off. Like I said, he won the poll, but then he didn't. TV said we did. The flag said we did. Their timer said we did. All of it said we did. So um, it's their sandbox, and we play in it, but um, it's wrong. They don't give us an official clock to look at because the official clock that they gave us, our lap counted. Oh, but he was just getting started there. Let's ask Mr. Bowman what your thoughts are on this qualifying format. Um, I mean, it's interesting. I hope the fans enjoyed it. That's that's why we're here. and. It adds element to it, but um, really frustrating. I mean, it's uh, in my eyes, they're wrong. Uh, they've made their sh fair share of mistakes, and so have I. I could totally be wrong, but uh, to me, it's kind of bullshit. I think this is in post-editing where I put in a siren or an air horn. We got a bullshit in the first five minutes of this show. Six minutes, seven minutes, whatever we are. I mean, geez, you want to talk about nothing changing. Alex Bowman. You're changing. You're usually a goody two-shoes on the microphone, but man, you're throwing out some BSs out here. This is a family show, Alex, please. Uh, Kevin Harvick was the guy who earned the poll, and he actually said before the qualifying session started that the fastest car would not win, win the poll, and he actually backed up his claim because the RCR cars of Austin Dillon and Daniel Hemrick, they were the quickest, 
but they did not win the pole, and they obviously didn't really have a good race either. Their cars were set up like super speedway cars like you would see at Daytona or Talladega, but their cars did not handle well in the race. We'll get to that, though. Practice was also pretty wild. You had cars drafting, crisscrossing. It was it was entertaining AF. I used to say AF, but I think now I'm saying AF. So, yes, practice was really, really entertaining. And then you fast forward to the race on Sunday afternoon. You dropped the green flag. It was absolutely bananas. Crazy for the first five laps or so. Then after 10 or 15 laps, things kind of calmed down a little bit. And overall, stage one, the first 80 laps was pretty uneventful. And I'll say it, it was flat out boring. And you're thinking to yourself, like, damn, NASCAR worked all offseason to develop this package. They hyped it up. All the drivers have been talking about it. There was a test session at Auto Club. There was a test session at uh, Las Vegas. And it looked nothing like what we just saw in the first 80 laps. And I was sitting next to Jeff Gluck uh, in the press box. I was actually on his podcast post-race. You can take a listen to our thoughts there as well. And he's saying, like, man, the wind is totally knocked out of my sails. because, And it was warranted because you had all this hype coming in, right? And then you see the first five laps. You're saying, man, this is dope. This is sweet. And then the next 75 or so are just nothing's really changed, but you've slowed the cars down. You've taken a dramatic amount of skill away from these drivers because they were pretty much flat out the entire run. And you're thinking to yourself, really? Like, this is what, we, this is what we've been waiting for? No, it, it can't be. But stage two and three were a little bit better. Um, not overwhelmingly better, but they were just solid. And th- this is what I wrote about for frontstretch.com. You can check out the Fire on Fridays bi-weekly column that I write with Joseph Falcon, my fellow NASCAR Jew. It was a good race. Like, it was an okay race, okay? It was nothing that blew me out of the water, but I was kind of expected to be blown out of the water, which I I guess I put that at the feet of lots of people, including myself. I'm, and like I said, we talked about it on Jeff Gluck's podcast. It's because of the expectations that we were promised, or at least that we were thought That's the reason we're disappointed. 56% of the people voted yes on his was it a good race poll. So it goes to show you, like, people thought it was a good race, and there were a ton of people responding saying, is there a third option for it was just okay or it was just somewhere in the middle? And compared to the last Las Vegas race, which is the opening playoff race last fall, I mean, that race was incredible. The temperatures were extremely high. You You had guys slipping and sliding all across the racetrack a ton of yellows, and that's something else that we'll talk about too, but this is the first race since 2002. That's 17 years, people. We're not counting stages. This race went caution-free. Caution-free! That's insane! I mean, cautions breed cautions. Clearly not, because there were none, even after the stages, and the restarts were crazy, but everybody held on to their nuts, and they got through it. And oh, by the way, I haven't even mentioned who won this damn race. It was Joey Logano, the defending champion. He ended up holding off his teammate, Brad Keselowski, at the end of the race. Team Penske's killing the game, though. Two out of the first three races of the season they've been victorious in. Ryan Blaney still very quick. I mean, Joey's in the best spot of his career, and he is is as hot as can be. He's in the Pennzoil car. His 22nd career win in the Cup Series in the number 22 car in the Pennzoil 400 did a burnout in the Pennzoil logo. I mean, sometimes it's too good to be true. And there were a lot of haters on social media, as you get with anything nowadays, uh, especially on Twitter, addressing this package post-race, jumping to conclusions, saying, oh, this is a failure. NASCAR really 
dug their head in, in, in their butt for this one. Oh, I'm never going to watch a race again. Joey Logano had something to say about the haters in terms of this new package. Take a listen. People love to complain. <laughs> you want to get me going? Here we go. <laughs> People love to talk about negative stories, and I don't know why. I don't understand it. There's a lot of positive going on in our world, and I'm not just talking about NASCAR racing, but there's plenty of good things that happen, and every time we turn on the news, I'm sick of seeing negative stories because there's all these good stories that get overshadowed by someone writing a negative story uh, or someone getting on Twitter and being all big and bad and writing something that, that makes them feel better. Uh, because they, they, they want something different. Sometimes those people know what they want. That's, that's my opinion. Um, you know, I, I think when, when I look at, uh, you know, wh- where we are as a sport, there's a lot of great things coming down the pipeline for us. Uh, there's a lot of great um, decisions that are being made. There's a lot of uh, collaboration of, of race teams and drivers and uh, sponsors and racetracks. Everyone's working together, TV partners, media, all you guys are, we're all working together. And, and there's a lot of good things happening because we're working together. Um, and, and I think the fans are going to benefit from that. Um, you know, I, thought, <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you, man. When you have cars racing side by side to the start finish line after how many laps was that last run? A long, a long run, hundred laps ish. A hundred laps. Yeah. What else you want? I don't know. They're just trolls on Twitter, man. So <laughs> they are. I mean, he's got a point, right? He really does. The bottom line is this. The main reason that this package, at least for now, was a disappointment was because there is overhype and under-deliverance, okay? Performance Racing Network's Pat Patterson said it best on Fast Talk that I listen to every single Monday evening. He said that NASCAR for the past five or ten years or so, and, and he's right about this, they have over-promised and they have under-delivered. Whether it's this new rules package, whether it's uh, new format changes to the all-star race, whether it's new generations of cars, whether it's promoting the younger stars and them not winning in the in the volume that they were expected to, it's very, very true. And I don't blame the sanctioning body for doing that. I mean, what are they supposed to do, under-promise and over-deliver? No, that's not how the entertainment business works. I mean, maybe you'll get lucky every now and then when you don't hype something up or someone up, and then they or it crashes onto the scene and it goes crazy, but that's that's not how it works. That's not how it ever will work, and that's not a strategy that you want to implement if you're running a multi-billion dollar business or corporation like the France family is. But talking about Joey Logano, I mean, his car was one that, could move around the best something that drivers post-race said that set that set him and those types of drivers apart from the good to the great in that specific race and that's probably what it's going to be with this package all season long he could block well he could pass well I personally I mean like going down to the wire to that race the last 100 laps or so the top three drivers were separated by like a second a second and a half which is crazy it's crazy close but I'm sorry to be the Debbie Downer here. I never felt confident that the second place driver was going to be able to pass the leader with ease unless the leader slipped up or lap traffic played a factor as we saw in the K&N race on the dirt track Thursday night. I never felt confident in that. And I don't know if that's just me being a Debbie Downer, but Brad Keselowski tried. On the last lap, he had a slide job-ish, tried to dive bomb it going into turn three, coming out of turn four. Uh, he was wheeling that thing, so was Logano. Logano was able to hold him off, though, and earn his 22nd career victory in the Cup Series, his first this season as well. 
And um, let, let's hear from some other drivers that were in this race, in the top 10 specifically. Let's start out with Chase Elliott, the most popular driver in the series, who he seemed to be biting his tongue a little bit after his seventh place finish, but the first top 10 of the season for him with Hendrick Motorsports, who is possibly turning the corner. Here were his thoughts on this new rules package. I mean, like I've told everybody else up and down through here, if, if it was entertaining to watch, I don't care. So, um, you know, that, that's the main thing is if, if entertainment is is produced, then uh, then it does not matter to me, and I'm happy to drive it, whatever it is. The rule is the same for everybody, so it, uh, it's irrelevant if it's fun to watch. Yeah, you see what I mean with him biting his tongue? Like, you can kind of tell he's – I don't think he's a fan of it, but he's not going to come out being the sport's most popular driver and say, yeah, this sucks, like Kyle Busch did with the COT in 2007 at Bristol. Um, so I, I don't know. And I wasn't really expecting to see what we saw at the All-Star race last year or in the Las Vegas test. I mean, I was not expecting pack racing, three, four wide, multiple rows deep in the pack. I mean, I wasn't expecting that for, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 laps at a time in a run. But I was expecting more than what I saw because, like I mentioned earlier off the top, once once the restart kind of fizzled out after the first 10 or 12 laps or so, everybody pretty much got single file and it was tough to pass because the thing that drivers talked about, and we'll hear from a couple more here in a minute, the wake that these cars with this new package have behind them is so, so big. Daniel Hemmer kind of compared it to basically think of yourself on the water and you're behind a boat. And you know the wake that a boat makes in that water when it when it gathers up speed? Imagine being in back of that and all the bumps and the dirty air in this case that is behind a race car like that. It's so hard to pass when you're in dirty air. So that's why Joey Logano was able to get up front and stay up there because he was able to move his car around from the top to the bottom to the middle to pass to maneuver lap traffic. That's why he had one of the best cars. Denny Hamlin had one of the best cars as well for Joe Gibbs Racing. He had a top 10 finish, but he said that this package was kind of about what he expected to see. He ran around the top 10, top 15 all afternoon long and said, like I mentioned, the wake was the biggest factor so far. Yeah, it's about what I expected. You know, the restarts are, you know, super exciting and you're able to kind of dice around and put yourself in, in good positions. And then once it gets strung out uh, with all the on throttle time, uh, you know, it seems like the, the bottom lane is the place to be. And then if you're second, you just, you can't run the bottom either because the, the wake is so big. Uh, so, it's kind of a catch-22. It, it'll work really, really good at some tracks. Uh, other tracks, it, it won't. But uh, overall, you know, I don't know, uh, you know how tight the field was there, but uh, it definitely kind of seemed like it strung out. Rolling along, his teammate at Joe Gibbs Racing, Martin Truex Jr., says that this race proved things may be a bit more challenging moving forward in the season, which I find a bit interesting because on paper you would think, Oh, this package will be easy. Drivers are flat out. They're not breaking. They're not having to work the throttle at all. But Martin Truex Jr. says, hold, hold, hold on, hold on. Slow your roll here, people. He, he has some solid analysis from the 2017 champion here. I want you to take a listen to what he has to say about the challenging aspects of this new package. Yeah, I mean, it's challenging for sure. Um, I think everybody will tell you it's a challenge. I would say that it's probably more of a challenge to drive them than we all thought it would be. Um, you know, and so when we have good tires and enough grip to – you know, where, where a handful of guys can run the same speed, it's it's pretty racy and pretty fun. But as soon as the grip starts falling off a little bit, you just you can't stay behind anyone. So that's when you just get spread out. So um, I think the, the lower horsepower is a big part of the reason why we're able to stay together more. You know, you can't exploit somebody so bad by having a really strong car through the middle of the corner. 
because you only have you know, so much power and so much speed on the straightaway no matter what you do. So uh, it's a lot different, um, but it's still difficult for sure. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. has not really made a ton of friends this year on the racetrack. Eric Jones specifically. I'm not adding you. I'm just adding you. Um, he was asked about his aggressive nature playing dividends with this new package from what we've seen so far. Again, it's only one race. It's only 400 miles, 267 laps, because we all know how good he is on plate tracks, right? He's won at Talladega. He's won at Daytona. And a top 10 finish for the number 17 for Roush Fenway Racing that could be indicative of what we might see in the future at these mile and a half and bigger tracks with this new package. Because we know Ricky, he's not afraid to ruffle some feathers. He's not afraid to be aggressive. And he thinks that that might be playing to his advantage. Yeah, so far so good. Um, you know, like I said, you, you definitely got to be aggressive. Um, you, can't, you can't take any laps off. Restarts are, are critical. Um, and then once you start working lap traffic, start working on the car in front of you, you got to have a car that, you know, is, is capable of going top and bottom and middle. Uh, at the beginning of the race, we in the middle part of the race, we had one that I really had to run the bottom. I can make a little time up in the middle of one and two. Uh, but overall, uh, as the race went on, we got our car better. We were able to work uh, multiple lanes, and, and that helped us pass. So, uh, But it was definitely uh, all about being aggressive today. All right, we're moving up one number from 17 and Ricky to 18 and Kyle Busch, the hometown kid, the moment you've all been waiting for. He won the truck race. He won the Xfinity race. He was going for the triple header sweep. Would have been the first time to do it at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. He's done it twice in the past. He did it at Bristol in 2007, I want to say, before 2010. And then I think he did it in 2017 as well. But he got caught speeding on pit road, was forced to be a lap down, took the wave around, got back on the lead lap into the top 10 and top 5, finished third, but just a little short of completing that triple header sweep. He answers a few questions here, and I was actually kind of proud of myself because, believe it or not, asking questions to Kyle Busch is kind of a little intimidating, okay? I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but he was being short with the media, which is usual for Kyle. Don't blame him for that at all. He was obviously very frustrated. You can kind of hear my my question. It's a little it's a little low on the volume, uh, so you can turn it up if you want. But I asked him one question, and I actually got him to expand on it. So go me. I guess I pat myself on the back for that one. Sped on pit road, threw it away. Is there anything you can do as a driver to make up the difference there at the end? Nope. You're about flat out. Do you feel like you had any control over what you were able to do in terms of when you were behind people? The air behind guys is really, really bad. It's uh, could be loose sometimes, can be tight a lot of times. And uh, when I caught the four there, I was running 31 flats. And then um, when I got to the four, I was running 3140s. So you just you get stuck in air. You're an intense competitor. It's hard when you get done to try to take it down an hour from now. I know you'll have some thoughts, but so competitive out there today. It wasn't though the race. I don't know, was we it? Thought. Well, we didn't really think, that, we thought maybe it was going to be more of the drafting stuff, but it took a while for everyone to kind of get going in the first stage. Okay. Your thoughts on that? <laughs> Look the same to me. Is this challenging at all? Yeah, it's challenging. It's all about trying to figure out how, who can be the man that holds it down the longest and trying to find your balance in that way. Um, you know, cars are faster through the corners. There's more loads on us. It's, it's harder physically, but... Um, you know, it doesn't. Uh, the wake is just so big. You just you can't you can't you can't follow a guy through a corner. So there's Kyle Busch for you. And now let's hear from his brother, 
who is a bit more cheery, <laughs> I, I guess anybody than that can be a bit more cheery, discussing his thoughts on the new package after his top 10 day. And he was not going to finish top 10, but his crew chief, Matt McCall, um, actually made a pretty good pit strategy move. Uh, he got them in the top five to start stage three. I think he, I don't remember off the top of my head, I think he pitted at the end of stage two for gas only. And then after everything cycled out, he was actually on the track, leading, was able to hold on to his top five spot on a couple laps older tires. But he was able to hold on to that top ten spot, and it was a really, really solid start to the season for the number one team with Chip Ganassi Racing. Package was insane on restarts. I mean, the adrenaline and the, the activity, everybody racing harder with three wide. I mean, you didn't know where cars were going to come from. And then, yes, we did get strung out, but handling comes back into play. I mean, you, you got to make your car handle, and we had just enough handle on our car to get top five today. Also, I got to give myself some props here and uh, just make my mama proud who's downstairs listening. I kind of broke my first story this weekend if you want to, I guess, frame it that way. Here's how it went down. So we're at the tweet up and I'm just chit-chatting it up with some some NASCAR fans as always. And we're talking about Star Nursery because obviously with my work with the K&M Pro Series, we were at the Star Nursery 100 on Thursday night. And Star Nursery was the entitlement sponsor of that race and they were also the primary sponsor on Kurt's car for the cup race this weekend. And as you know, and you'll hear him say in a second, I mean, it's not cheap to sponsor these cup cards. It's it's a multi-million dollar investment, even for one race. So I was talking to a Star Nursery employee, and he goes, yeah, we were really surprised when uh, we found out we were going to be on the car. I was like, what do you mean you were surprised? I mean, like, you're the sponsor. You paid the money. He was like, no, we uh, we actually found out when you guys all found out. Like, the media, we looked at the media reports, and... We were like, oh, crap, we're going to be on the car. That's awesome. I was like, so you didn't pay anything to be on the car? He's like, nope, we, we did not pay a single cent. I was like, huh, I don't think I've heard that this weekend. I, don't, I haven't seen Bob Pockers tweet it. So I did some digging. I uh, hit up a couple of my other sources. Um, I was able to confirm that that was the case. Um, I sent out a tweet. Jeff Gluck hit me with that retweet because he has all the power in NASCAR Media World. NASCAR and Reddit picked it up. It was pretty cool. Um Hashtag journalism, you know, putting that degree to work. So I asked Kurt Busch about it after the race, too, and he kind of explained fully the process of going through that and kind of made a joke with his team owner, Chip Ganassi Racing, on how he's going to be able to repay him because Kurt Busch footed the entire bill to put Star Nursery on that race car 20 years after they gave him his start in his cup career. Yeah, the cars are expensive in this day and age, and we don't want it to make make a, a big deal of the pricing, but it was all for from our heart. And it was neat to have the, the Star Nursery paint scheme on our car after 20 years from when we won the championship. Yeah, but this is a big-time business. There's big sponsors involved, and I'm glad Monster was accepting of it as well. Uh, I'll have to do a few extra appearances this year for Chip to kind of pay off the debt. But it was uh, a lot of fun, and uh, we'll make a diecast of this car and bring it back in September. Pretty cool, huh? I think it's a really cool gesture what Kurt Busch did for Star Nursery. Again, he they gave him his shot around two decades ago in the Las Vegas area, racing in the lower series. And this is kind of his thank you moment as he's kind of in the swan song season, you could call it that. Nothing confirmed yet, but he's going to be hanging up the helmet sooner rather than later. He's definitely on the back nine, probably walking up the 18th fairway right now in his cup career. So might be his last time at Las Vegas, at least for the spring race. So it was really cool to see him uh, give that gesture to the company that gave him his start 20 years ago. We're also able to catch up with Steve O'Donnell, who's the NASCAR 
vice president of competition uh, after the race and get NASCAR's initial reactions and thoughts to this new package. He he honestly kept it pretty real, I think. Take a listen to what he said. Well, um, I would say if you look at uh, the first stage, um, certainly saw almost two different races, kind of stage two, stage three. Um, what we said from the beginning was we wanted to see the best car still win. Um, we wanted the ability, and this is an actual fact story, but if you look up and turn two or turn three during a run, we wanted to see the leader and the ability for second or third at least to be in that shot and have the ability to pass. We saw that. Um, you certainly saw the last stage, 100 lap, green flag run with no cautions, top four within 2.5 seconds. Um, so directionally, I think better for sure, but, uh, you know, not satisfied. We can, uh, you know, I'm a race fan first and uh, liked what I saw, but also think, you know, there's more to come hopefully. I mentioned it briefly earlier, but this is the first caution-free race, not counting stages, since 2002. Like, that is just so insane to me. I, I can't believe that. And it's so wild to think about. 267 laps, the best drivers in the world, slipping and sliding on a hot day in Las Vegas, and no yellows. But the, like I did mention, though, it was hot, but it was cooler than usual races at Las Vegas. So Steve O'Donnell commented on the fact that there were no cautions, and was he surprised about that? Yeah, I think um, you never forecast a caution-free race, right, other than the stages, and that's what you had. So you had cars sticking together for a longer period, you know, on a restart. Um, and then what we really wanted on an intermediate track was if you had a long green flag run, the ability to make a pass during that stretch versus one second, two, three, four, almost what you saw in stage one versus the second and third. So I think it was good to see directionally, you know, the guys could come up through the pack and, and uh, make a pass for the lead. Um, but still still work to do. It's early. Um, you know, three different winners, three races. So we'll, we'll take this one and, and head to Phoenix. Joey Logano touched on it earlier, but the keyboard warriors came out. And they said this package was a failure, NASCAR messed up, which is is not true, to be frank with you. It's just too early to tell. It just is. So Steve O'Donnell, he's going to set the record straight for you again. This is not going to be a week-by-week -week thing. We're going to evaluate this thing after the entirety of the season. We're not just going to change things on a whim if we don't see something we like or if we do see something we like. You know, this is going to be a week-by-week -week thing, and it's not going to take one person's opinion on social media with an egg emoji uh, or an egg avatar and two followers to change our opinion. This is going to be a year-long thing, folks. I think over time. I mean, we, we said from the beginning that, you know, this is going to be a season that we're going to analyze. We're not going to every race say, you know, was that a good race? Was that not? I know fans do that. But, you know, for us directionally, are you improving upon where we wanted to be? And if you look at last year versus this year, I would say we are. Um, was it, you know, tremendous improvement? Probably not. Uh, but again, as, as a fan, you want to see lead changes. We saw that today. And I think if you would have looked in the past, with no cautions, um, we would have seen someone check out all race long, and, and we wouldn't have seen a lead change. And there it is. This wraps up our first race weekend recap. It was a pleasure being in the desert this past weekend. But like I said, I always forget how damn cold it is. So next year, I will bring a jacket. And I also did Vegas wrong. Get this. I was in Vegas for five days, did not go to the strip once, did not drink once, did not gamble once. And yeah, I did not have any fun, really, because... Well, when you're grinding, you don't have time to have fun. Grind don't stop. Hustle don't quit. Wrapping things up here on the pilot episode. It's not really a pilot, is it? I guess because this is the actual thing. I guess, no, it's not a pilot. It's the maiden voyage, sort of, I guess. Yeah, because a pilot's like a practice test run that is out, but it doesn't really count in the actual 
things of the episode. I don't know. All I know is I saw the pilot of Drake and Josh on TV a while ago, and in the episode description it said pilot, and I freaked out, so I recorded it because there's nothing like old Drake and Josh episodes. I digress. We're going to do that a lot on this show. Looking ahead this weekend to ISM Raceway out in the desert. Again, Avondale, Arizona is where the track is, but we like to call that Phoenix here on the Victory Lane Podcast. The Ticket Guardian 500. This Sunday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Defending winner of the event, that would be Kevin Harvick. Nine career wins at ISM Raceway for the closer. He would become the sixth driver in NASCAR history to win 10 races at one racetrack. Can you guess the other five? Well, I'll give you a hint. One of them is nicknamed the King. That would be Richard Petty. He's won 10-plus races at multiple tracks. Another one, that would be nicknamed Jaws. Yes, Darrell Waltrip, boogity, boogity, boogity. Another one, he's the king at Dover. Yep, seven-time champ, Jimmy Johnson, the GOAT, don't at me. Another one, David Pearson, the Silver Fox. He's won 10-plus times at Darlington Raceway. And Dale Earnhardt. I thought he won 10-plus times at Daytona, but I guess they don't really count the qualifying races and the duels, but he has won 11 times at Talladega Super Speedway. So you want to talk about good company. Pearson, Petty, Waltrip, Earnhardt, and Johnson? Yeah. Kevin Harvick would be in good company if and when he's able to get that 10th career victory at ISM Raceway. Could be this weekend. The Xfinity Series also in action, the IK9 200 on Saturday afternoon. I want you to keep an eye on Ryan Truex in the number eight car for Junior Motorsports. Kind of like the all-star car they're calling it, rotating set of drivers. He might be a good pick in DraftKings if you're playing. you got to make the most out of your opportunities over there, especially in that number eight car. And I think Ryan Truex is going to do a pretty, pretty good job of that. Even though it's his first start of the year, I think he will be in my lineup for sure. No truck series in action for a couple weekends. Their next race is Martinsville. Sad because... God, I love the truck series. It's the greatest series there is. Shout out Brad Perez. But the IndyCar series, they are going to be in action this weekend to kick off their 2019 season. Newly named NTT IndyCar series at St. Petersburg. Robert Wickens, if I was not holding a microphone with my other hand, I would be clapping. Here's me clapping on my chest. Bravo to you, my friend. If you don't know Robert Wickens' story... Put his name in your Google machine and just be amazed at what this dude is doing. He's going to be at St. Petersburg. He's been posting pictures and videos on social media all week, all month, all year long since his recovery from his horrific crash at Pocono. Dude's trying to learn how to walk again, and he had an interview with Kelly Stavis of NBC, and he said every single day he thinks of climbing back into that race car. You want to talk about race car drivers being a different breed. I mean, it don't get much different than that. Well, folks, I think that'll wrap things up for episode one of Victory Lane 2.0, the maiden voyage, sort of. That was fun. I enjoyed it. I guess I'll stop calling it 2.0 when we get going enough. Once we get established, get some stuff on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, some good guests, getting a regular flow of things, some more equipment that we can make this show better, bigger, and faster and stronger. Shout out Kanye. That'll be great. Uh, no driver interview this week, but we will have one next week and the following week after that and the following week after that. And hopefully every single weekend from now on, we will have a driver interview. Might be a longer one, might be a shorter one, but don't worry. I will get you driver interviews. I have three in the can right now. We got Ryan Priest, Corey LaJoy, and Johnny Sauter. I talked to them this past weekend 
at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. But this first this first episode, I wanted it to kind of be a refresher, kind of setting the benchmark for what I think this project is going to be and what I, I, I want to hear from you guys too. So tweet me at Davy Center. If you're listening to this, you honestly probably have my number. So just text me or tweet me, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. I don't care what you do. I'm serious though. Like I, I want to do what you guys want because obviously I'm doing this to get practice and experience and because I enjoy this. But if nobody's listening, what's the point? So I want you guys to be consuming content from me that you want. So if you want me to talk to somebody specific, I'll do it. If you want me to talk about something specific, I'll do it. Hit me up. I am the man for you. And please, before I go, please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. That's how I'm able to bump the podcast up or how they are able to bump the podcast up, I should say, and people are able to discover it with more ease. The more ratings and reviews it has, the more people are able to see it because it's higher up in the charts. So please, please do that. I will know that we're getting somewhere when this podcast eclipses my old Victory Lane podcast because still when I search it in the iTunes store, that is the first one that comes up with WDBM 88.9 in East Lansing. But now we're all riding solo, baby. So rate, review on iTunes, hit that subscribe button and unsubscribe and then resubscribe and then unsubscribe and then resubscribe. If you're a real one, you know what I'm talking about. Jacob V, shout out to you. Pardon my take. AWLs, you know what's up. I digress. We're also on Spotify and SoundCloud and Google Play. We have it all. I've done a ton of work uh, in the offseason trying to get this thing up and running. A little late, but hey, better late than never. All right? As always, I end my shows with saying peace and love, my dudes and dudettes. Have a great week, and I will talk to you next time to recap Phoenix and preview Auto Club. Thank you so much for being here for Episode 1 of Victory Lane.